0: Let's see if that gets us where we need to be. Good? Do I need to do anything else up here? There we go. Great. All right. First Kings, and we're going to be talking about the Jezreel Valley tonight, and there's a lot of things that, that happened in the Jezreel Valley and will happen in the Jezreel Valley. And um, so, actually, while he's setting that up, let me get this out, and we'll do a little bit of a review again, and um, I'm going to give you some maps and and show you some of these things again that we looked at last week, just to kind of remind you of where everything is at. But The Jezreel Valley is a very important place, not just in history, but in the future, and uh, uh, some very, very significant events are going to take place in the Jezreel Valley. We, not, we don't necessarily know it as the Jezreel Valley. It is the Jezreel Valley in the Bible um, and uh, in, the, in the New Testament where these things are talked about. It's not necessarily called the Jezreel Valley, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. So let's have a quick review here. What is this body of water? At sea. Good job. I think we're going to go through pretty quick here. What's this one? Sea of Galilee. What's the river that runs down? Jordan River. What's this? Dead Sea. What is this that runs down? Arva Valley. Very good. And this? Red Red Sea. Very good. What is this little triangle area? The Negev. The top half is the? Wilderness of Zin. And the bottom half is the? Wilderness of Paran. All right. What's this wilderness around here? This area? The Judean wilderness. What happened in the Judean wilderness? A lot of things, but what? Temptation of Christ, right? Forty days and forty nights that he spent in there. That's probably the most notable, but... Lot of other things that happened in there as well. All right, and so what we're talking about tonight is right up in this area right here. Okay. Uh we talked last week about um Ain Herod, E-I-N. What does Ain mean? Spring or fountain, right? So the, the fountain of Herod or Gideon's spring is what it's called because that's where Gideon tested his men, or God tested Gideon's men, I should say. Um, but we're, we're talking about the exact same area tonight there in the Jezreel Valley. In fact, uh, Herod's Spring, Gideon Spring, is in the Jezreel Valley, along with a couple other things here. So let's get into this as we, as we start. King Ahab, and hopefully you'll recognize his name, he, all right, so let me, let me take a step, let me, let me make this statement and then we'll take a quick step back. King Ahab of Israel's northern kingdom... Built a summer palace there in Jezreel. In fact, you're there in 1 Kings 21. Let's look at it. And it came to pass, verse number one, after these things that Naboth, hopefully you'll recognize that name as well, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. What does it mean? What do you think when it says hard by the palace of of Ahab? I mean, basically butted right up against it, right? I mean, it was, and I'm going to show you some pictures of it because there is evidence of where Naboth's vineyard very possibly was, um, and which would also be one of the reasons why King Ahab really wanted that vineyard, all right? But let me take a step back because we're going to be talking about two different kings tonight. One of them is Ahab, and he is in Israel's northern kingdom. Uh, The the nation of Israel split between the 10 northern tribes and the two southern tribes. The northern, this is where it gets a little bit confusing, but the northern ten tribes were called Israel, the southern two tribes were called what? Judah, all right? So they're the same nation, but they're split, Israel and Judah, all right? Uh, And so this is, King Ahab was in Israel's northern kingdom, and this was his palace. So uh, this was north of Samaria in the foothills of Mount Gilboa. What happened at Mount Gilboa? Saul and his sons were killed, right? And uh, so we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to see in some pictures Mount Gilboa. Now that's not, that's Mount Moray there that you see in that picture, and we're going to point that out uh, a little bit closer. But that, um, the, um, his palace overlooked the plain of Jezreel, or the valley of Jezreel. The valley of Jezreel is another name for the plain of Megiddo which is where the Battle of Armageddon is going to occur. Now, we're going to spend more time talking about that next week because we're going to actually look at Megiddo next week and see the, the uh, Tel Megiddo, basically the, the, uh, the civilization that was there and, and looking a little bit closer to the area where the Battle of Armageddon is actually going to take place. But the Battle of Armageddon, I mean, you think about this in the course of history. In fact, let me give you that. That's the Valley of Jezreel from Ahab's palace. So that's what he would have seen when he looked out from his palace. Talk about a vantage point, right? Uh, And it's a tell. What is a tell again? A man-made hill, right? Uh, There's plenty of hills. You have the Hill of Moray, all right? But a tell is a man made hill. So you have a civilization built on top of a civilization, on top of a civilization, on top of a civilization. Eventually, you get a nice big round, most of the time, tell. And Jezreel is one of those tells, all right? Uh, it would have been built on top of something that was already there. They didn't start flat and then just, you know, uh, they would have tried to get somewhat of a vantage point. But there's something that all of the tells have in common. Number one is they always were n- next to a source of water. And this is right next to the Kishon River. What does what the Kishon River uh, ring a bell for you about? Do you remember what happened at the River Kishon? Well, that's the, that's the brook Cherith. But you're, you're, in the right, you're in the right era. Right? After, after Mount Carmel, what happened? God brought fire down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. Huh? God brought fire down from heaven, right? All of that stuff. But then that's where, that's where uh, Elijah took all of the prophets of Baal and killed all of them down at the, at the river Kishon, right? But the, river, the, the Kishon River runs right through the middle of that, of that valley of Jezreel. So all of the tells have at least two things in common. Number one, they were always located in a very strategic place, right? If you're going to build a palace or a civilization on top of it, you've got to be able to have a vantage point where you can protect yourself. And, and you, you, I mean, look at this. I mean, you can see coming from miles away anything that would, that would be moving in your direction, right? Uh, that's number one. And number two would, would have been a source of water. And they had that there. So this is Tel Jezreel, but this is the valley of Jezreel from Ahab's palace there. And um, uh, a lot of other things that we're going to look at with that. But here we go. This is the hill of Moray. Well, maybe. We're frozen. Josh, somebody help me. I don't know why it's not moving. It's not, though. What's what? Do you know what's going on, Brother Josh? Maybe you can help me. All right, but let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18 while we're waiting to see what's going to happen with that. Because uh, this would have been Ahab's summer palace. Now, it was to Jesuit. I really need to show you this because I, I hope this thing unfreezes itself because I need you. All right, let me let me do this. Let me disconnect and reconnect, all right? Let's see what happens with that, but... Um. Sometimes, yeah, that's what's going to come up. I knew that was going to happen, so bear with me here. All right, let's see if that gives it to us. Now I need to X out of this, go to presenter view. All right, there we go. That's what I was trying to show you. So here's the palace, all right, and to kind of put it into perspective for you, there's Mount Gilboa on the, on the far right side. Then Ain herod which is Herod Spring, or Gideon Spring, and then the Hill of Moray, which we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but if you could see on the map, in fact, let me show you this map, all right? Uh, Tel Jezreel is in that circle right there, and, and let me use my little pointer finger and show you this, okay? Here is the Kishon River, okay? Here's Megiddo, which we'll talk about later. This is the Jezreel Valley, and all of this is actually considered the Jezreel Valley, but it does turn... Uh, and as part of the Jezreel Valley, you have the Herod Valley, all right? And there's the Hill of Moray, okay? Um, and it's not listed on here. Beth Sheehan we talked about already as well. Uh, Mount Tabor, which we'll talk about a little bit later, is up there on the top. You can see all of that as you look out over that valley, okay? Um, and and, and uh, we'll go back and show that to you. You can see all of those things. Mount Tabor is off in the distance there, the Hill of Moray, Ain herod Mount Geboah, and what we're standing on right there is uh, Ahab's palace overlooking that valley of Jezreel. Now, if you, in fact, let me go back to this, all right? So um, this is also the Megiddo Valley, okay? Where we're standing on this tell, we're, we're essentially looking at what is, let me, let me go back to that picture so you can see it. We're looking at what is the Herod Valley right there. Where you're standing on the top of that tell, if you were to do a 360 and come around behind it, which you can do and which I'll show you in a little bit, I've got a video that that kind of pans around the whole thing, what happens is you come around behind and Megiddo is behind us, okay? So we're looking out over the valley, uh, over the Herod Valley, okay? And, And that's actually part of the Valley of Jezreel, which swings all the way around and is part of the Valley of Megiddo, or another name for it is the Valley of Megiddo, which is where the uh, Battle of Armageddon is going to take place, all right? So hopefully you got your bearings a little bit on that. This is where we're talking about what that little tiny body of water that you see at the top of there is the Sea of Galilee. The body of water that you see at the bottom there is the Dead Sea, and then you see the Jordan River zigzagging all the way down. So hopefully that kind of puts it into perspective for you a little bit and uh, gives you some things to look at here. But this, may, this is a, a different picture of it, okay? So let's go back so you can get your bearings again, all right? There's, there's Mount Gilboa, there's Ain Herod, there's the Hill of Moray. We're standing on the uh, Tel Jezreel. Here's what it looks like if you were to step way back. Okay, So this is a big, big, big area. There's, there's roads and cars. and I mean, this is a major highway running through the middle of that that comes out right in the middle of the bottom there, and you can't even see the cars because it's, it's tiny. The, the cars are so tiny on there. So this is a big area. There's Mount Gilboa, or the, the, the Gilboa Mountains, really, but Mount Gilboa is the biggest one in that cluster. Ain't Herod, you can see where that's pointing, and then what we're standing on right there in that last picture is Tel Jezreel. If you were to, if you were to swing around behind here, this is where Megiddo is at, and, and we're not gonna actually talk about that tonight, but you'll see it. If you continue going that way, you'd run right into the Jordan River. Uh, if, you, if you were to go up kind of right up the top, out the middle, you'd run right into the Jordan River, okay? So that hopefully that puts it into perspective for you a little bit. Uh, This is Tel Jezreel, and it kind of gives you an idea of just how big everything is. But a few things happened here. This is now we're standing in the valley and looking up at the palace. So the Jezreel palace was located on the brow of that hill, and we're going to see some more of that later. There you go again with uh, with Tel Jezreel right there in the middle. We're standing down in the valley to look up at that palace, and uh, pretty impressive. Uh, This is what they think it probably had looked like at some point. Um, when when Herod, I'm, I'm sorry, when when Ahab was there as the king, and uh, I mean you can't, you probably can't really see it from here, but these these are people, all right, people standing up in here. So this is really 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 big. Uh, if you think about a um, a football field being 300 feet, right? Um, this this one was actually um, about 800 feet by 400 feet. So uh, Several football fields long and about a football and a, half field, a football field and a half wide, which may not sound like much, but when you consider that all of that was walled and, and very highly defense, you know, defense and everything else. And then what would happen is that was the place where everybody would go if they were under attack. You know, a lot of people would live and, and work fields and, and have their flocks and those kind of things outside of those walls, but that was where they would go when there was a threat. All right? And there was a lot of people who lived in there that's where all the business transactions took place. That's where all the, uh, you know, that's where the king would, would have lived and, and all of those things. So, uh, very, very impressive with, with all of these things. But then what you'd see right behind there would be Mount Gilboa and uh, Ain Herod would have been around that corner and everything else. So, that's, that's what we're looking at. And if you look at that picture, you can, it doesn't look like this massive tell that it looks like today, right? Because again, this was a civilization that crumbled and then another one was built on top of it and so on. So they've done a lot of excavation, which we'll get to in a little bit. But in First Kings chapter 18, uh, it was to Jezreel that the prophet Elijah ran after the great contest with the Baal prophets on Mount Carmel. So he slew all of them at the Kishon River, which is again right there. Um, we'll, we'll go back and look at it real fast. Um, so you can see it again, okay? Kishon River is that river that you can see coming down. Uh, Megiddo, all right, and let me point this out to you then so you can see this. We'll talk about this more later. Mount Carmel is right here, okay? So that's, Mount Carmel is where Elijah was at when he faced off with the prophets of Baal. After that, and he slew all of them at the he ran toward uh, Jezreel. And that's where we pick up the story here of uh, Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. And let's look at verse number 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Well, what does that have to do with up the heavens without rain for three years? Oh, they, but they were all suffering under it, even Elijah. And so it's pretty interesting. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. Okay, you've read this a million times. What sea is he talking about? Based on what you see. All right, let me go back. Let me go back to that map again. What sea is Elijah looking at? The Mediterranean Sea, right? He's on the top of Mount Carmel. There's no other sea around him that he can see from Mount Carmel other than the Mediterranean. So he's looking out, telling his servant, go up and look out over the sea. Do you see anything? right. Uh, verse number, uh, well, in, in that verse 43. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, saying to Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. I mean, that's faith. It hasn't rained in three years. He sees a little cloud the size of a man's hand, and he says, you better go tell Ahab You better get over here before the rain keeps him from getting there, right? Verse 45, and it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, that's a pretty amazing thing, okay? Here's where Uh, And and I'll point a few things out here again. Mount Carmel, Kishon River, Jezreel Valley, Tel Jezreel. That's about 15 miles. And Elijah ran fast enough from Mount Carmel to Jezreel that he outran Ahab's chariot in those 15 miles and got to the entrance of Jezreel before Ahab did. That's fast, right? Now, obviously, God gave him the strength and God gave him the, the ability to do that, but uh, that's, that's a pretty amazing feat. In fact, you have this right here. Elijah praying for rain, and when he saw it approaching over the Mediterranean Sea, he ran to Jezreel, which is about 15 miles, outran from Mount Carmel all the way down Kishon to Jezreel, outran Ahab's chariot. Uh, that's an amazing, amazing thing. But then, there's a picture. That's what somebody thought it looked like, all right? <laughs> no wonder, he's a skinny little guy. He's Running barefoot. He should, have, he should have been a Dr. Swan when got a pair of brooks. Probably would have been even faster. But Anyway, so that's, that's there in Jezreel. Now, we already talked about this, and we already looked at this a little bit, but now we also have the story of Naboth and his vineyard, because that occurred there as well. So let's go to 1 Kings 21, and we'll look at a few things here. There's, there's some great stories that all wrap around this here in Jezreel. Uh, I, if you haven't heard them before, even if you had, I think you're going to like them, but Ahab coveted the beautiful vineyard that belonged to Naboth. And he said, go tell him, to, you know, I'll give him any price. Whatever he wants for it, he can, I'll give it to him. I want that vineyard. And Naboth said, it's not for sale. This is my, this is my, family's, uh, this is my family's inheritance. It's, it came to me from my fathers. It's going to my children from me. It's not for sale. Well, Ahab, you know the story. He went and pouted, right? Turned his face to the wall, wouldn't eat, wouldn't drink. And, and Jezebel comes in and says, what's wrong, Ahab, and he says, Naboth won't give me the vineyard. So we come to verse 13, because Jezebel had decided that she was well, let's let's look at verse 10. And well, verse verse 9. And she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth on high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, before him, to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him that he may die. I mean, you talk about a conniving witch of a woman, right? Put him up there and make him think that he's the, the, the big dog at this feast. And then we'll get two people to come up and make a story that said they heard him blaspheme God and blaspheme the king. As if Ahab cared about blaspheming God, he did that himself all the time. It was more of blaspheming the king. And two people heard it. And in the mouth of two witnesses, the, the matter is sealed, right? So verse number 13, and there came in two men children of Belial, and sat before him. And the men of Belial witnessed against him, even against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth did blaspheme God and the king. Then they carried him forth out of the city and stoned him with stones that he died. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth is stoned and is dead. And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth was stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite which he refused to give thee for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And it came to pass when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead that Ahab rose up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Well, it's hard fast against the the, the, uh, king's palace there, right? He didn't have to walk far to go down to where this vineyard was at. And sure enough, he takes possession of this vineyard. Well, when Ahab walked down to see the vineyard, and to plan for his new herb garden, the prophet Elijah met him there and pronounced God's judgment. And if anybody was there that he did not want to see, it would have been Elijah. In fact, he, he makes, a, he makes a, a bold statement about that in verse number, well, let's look at verse number 17. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. By the way, Samaria was the capital of the nation of Israel, What was the capital of Judah, was not Jerusalem originally. Hebron, right? Hebron was the capital, and then it was moved to Jerusalem. David moved it there. And, and, uh, but Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. So behold, he is in the vision of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And, and, thou, ha- and, and thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where dogs <laughs> licked the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said to Elijah, Hast thou found me, O mine enemy? <laughs> Could you, I mean, just picture what's going on in this story. Ahab gets this vineyard that he was pouting about. Jezebel kills the man that owns it and gives it to him. And he's walking down in the vineyard just probably feeling those grapes and everything else. And the next thing you know, Elijah shows up. And Elijah said, Oh, by the way, the same place that they lick Naboth's blood, they're going to lick yours. Guess what? Ahab wasn't thinking, okay, whatever. It came from Elijah the prophet. He knew that that was going to be exactly what happened, and he said, you found me? How did you find me, mine enemy, right? And and I think it's just so funny. He answered, I have found thee, because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. And of course, God God told him exactly where he was at, but Ahab said to Elijah, hast thou found me, O mine enemy? And he answered, I found thee, because thou hast sold thyself. Verse 21, behold, I will bring evil upon thee, And will take away thy posterity, and cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. Verse 23, and of Jezebel also spake the Lord, the dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Well, this is exactly the place that we're talking about, right there at at Jezreel. And Ahab was killed in battle. In Ramoth Gilead, and his blood was licked up by the dogs when his chariot was washed in the pool there in Jezreel. So let me give you a couple of things here along with this, all right? There is Jezreel. There's Ramoth Gilead. So it's, it's, it's a good little hike. They had a battle over there. The Jordan River is running right down through the middle. So it's on the opposite side of the Jordan River, on, on the eastern side there. But we pick it up in, in 1 Kings chapter 22, and let's look at verse 34. And I think this is, I mean, obviously this is God that does this here. Verse 34, and a certain man drew a bow at a venture. You know what that means? He, this guy was probably scared to death, had no idea what he was doing, and it was just shooting arrows into the air. But drew a bow at a venture. He wasn't aiming at Ahab, wasn't aiming at anything. Just draw the bow back and let the arrow go and hope it hits something, right? Well, and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Well, they had all kinds of armor on, right? He's the king. He's not going into battle unprotected. He's got all kinds of, and in the joint where you have to be able to move your arm and everything else, that's where the arrow goes. God directed that arrow, if he's ever directed anything. Uh, And wherefore, he said unto the driver of his chariot, turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died... At even, And the blood ran out of the wound into the midst of the chariot, and there went out a proclamation throughout the host about the going down of the sun, saying, Every man to his city and every man to his own country. Verse 38. And one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood, and they washed his armor according unto the word of the Lord which he spake. Then, turn over to Second Kings chapter 9. So that's one part of the prophecy that's been fulfilled because of Ahab's wickedness and because, uh, and and by the way, there was not one king, not one king in the nation of Israel, those 10 tribes that served the Lord. About half of the ones in Judah did. Uh, Some of them went after the other gods. Some of them, uh, you know, the the Bible says uh, uh, followed after idols and everything else. Some of them were good kings, and that's where you find Josiah and uh, Hezekiah and some of these other kings that were good. They were, in the, they were the kings over those two southern tribes in Judah. And uh, you had several that were pretty good kings. But uh, Ahab in the northern kingdom was not one of them. So Jehu, the Bible says, was anointed as king by Elisha and was appointed to destroy Ahab's seed. Ahab had, had children and he had sons. And those sons were the ones who were next in line to be king. So in 2 Kings chapter 9... Verse number one, And Elisha the prophet called one of the children of the prophets and said unto him, Gird up thy loins and take this box of oil in thine hand and go to Ramoth-Gilead. All right? So what's in Ramoth-Gilead? A battle, right? So this is kind of, I say, spur of the moment thing. I mean, obviously God is leading Elijah to do this. But he says in verse two, When thou comest thither, look out there, Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, and go in and make him arise up from among his brethren and carry him to an inner chamber then take the box of oil and pour it on his head and say thus said the lord i have anointed thee king over israel then open the door and flee and tarry not so the young man did that and then we come to verse number 13 then they hasted and took every man his garment and put it under him on the top of the stairs and blew with trumpets saying jehu is king so then jehu led part of his army from Ramoth-Gilead to Jezreel, knowing that Jehoram was recuperating there. Now, Jehoram was the son of Ahab, and we find we pick that up in verse number 14. So Jehu, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of Nimshi, conspired against Joram. Now, Joram had kept Ramoth-Gilead, he and all Israel, because of Hazael, king of Syria, But King Joram was returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which the Syrians had given him when he fought with Hazael, king of Syria. And Jehu said, if it be your minds, then let none go forth nor escape out of the city to go to tell it in Jezreel. In other words, I'm going to kill him. Don't anybody else go there and tell him that I'm on my way to kill him. Uh, He was recuperating. He was in bed. He couldn't do anything about it. He had been wounded in the battle, not unto death, but... Uh, he decides that he's going to go in there and kill him. So, approaching on the road from the east, and that's where the arrow is. So, we're standing there on the top of, of uh, Jezreel. There is the hill of Moray. Behind those clump of bushes is the Gilboa Mountains. And as I mentioned, to go through that little pass, that little Herod Valley would take you to the Jordan River. And if you continued past that, you would get to Ramath gilead So, Jehu is coming through that pass, if you will. It's not all mountains, but... That's that's the most natural way, right there through the valley of Jezreel or in that area, the Herod Valley. Um, But Jehu's chariots, in fact, let's pick this up in verse number 16. So Jehu rode in a chariot and went to Jezreel, for Joram lay there, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, was come down to see Joram. Now Ahaziah was not necessarily a bad king, but the Bible says Ahaziah made a horrible mistake, and his horrible mistake was that he went into battle with Ahab, and it ends up being the death, literally the death, of Ahaziah. So Ahab is dead. Joram, or as he's called in Chronicles, Jehoram, uh, is laying there wounded, and Ahaziah came down to see him. Verse 17, and there stood a watchman on the tower of Jezreel. I'm going to show you a picture of that in a minute. And he spied the company of Jehu as he came and said, I see a company. And Joram said, take an horseman and send to meet them and let him say, is it peace? So there went one on horseback to meet him and said, thus saith the king, is it peace? And Jehu said, what hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told, saying, the messenger came to them, but he cometh not again. Then he sent out a second on horseback, which came to him and said, thus saith the king, is it peace? And Jehu answered, what hast thou to do with peace? Turn thee behind me. And the watchman told, saying, He came even unto them, and cometh not again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshi, for he driveth furiously. Boy, I know some people who, are, who would be characterized by driving furiously, and you could tell that it's them coming because of the way they're driving. I mean, imagine how wild Jehu must have been on that chariot for them to see him coming at a long distance and say, there's nobody that drives a chariot like that. That's got to be Jehu coming, Right? Uh, but that's what they did, and that's how they knew it was him. So uh, Jehu's chariots could be seen from a long distance from the tower of the palace there. Two different riders were sent out to meet him. Jehu did not let them go back, so they knew that something was not, not going so well for them. Uh, and here you go. This is, this is maybe a little bit better picture of where Jehu would have been coming from. They would have been standing on the tower of the palace there in Jezreel, which is that little, the, the second arrow on the right side is pointing to that again. And that's the area where Jehu would have been coming from. They would have been able to see his company coming a long way away. Right? This was an army on the way. This was, this was not just Jehu driving by himself, but he was leading them. And so they sent out a rider. Hey, Jehu, are you coming in peace? And Jehu said, Whatever, get, get behind me. You're not going back. And then the, the, the guy who was up on the wall, the, 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 uh, he's, he saw that, and he saw that the, se- the rider didn't come back. And so. Joram said, hey, send another one out. We need to find out what's going on here. And he sent another one. Hey, is it peace? And he said, you're not going back. Get get behind me. We're, we're not coming in peace, basically, but you're not going to tell them that we're not coming in peace. And so they, they finally make it there, and, and the watchman on that tower said, there's nobody that drives like that. that has got to be Jehu, and he's on his way. So Jehu rode across this valley on his way to the city. And again, that's that's kind of standing up there at the palace. That's, that. I mean... All of those things are built up now and fields and everything else. More than likely, it wouldn't have looked very much like that at all other than just wide open plains. And they would have easily been able to see Jehu coming on his, uh, on, on, on his chariot and driving furiously. They knew that it was him. Now, the following, and I'm putting this on here because there's not enough room to put it on the next one, but I want you to understand what we're looking at here. So it's a panorama. It's a, it's a 360 video of the valley from the area of Naboth's vineyard, which was just below the palace. Um, and it's panning from the north, which is the Hill of Moray, all the way back around south to Gilboa, and it, and it just goes all the way around. And You'll see, you'll see the palace there. So uh, let's see if we can get it to play here. There we go. So swinging around that way, you would see the Valley of Megiddo. You'd see Megiddo itself. Here's the Hill of Moray. See the road down there? I mean, the cars look like ants. That's how, that's how big this area is there. That's a major highway that runs along that there's the hill of Moray. Follow that through the valley. We're looking at the Herod Valley right there. Keep going. You'd run into the the Jordan River. Right there where those two pine trees are at, sticking up, kind of in between those two sets of pine trees would be uh, Gideon Spring. All of these are the Gilboa Mountains, all right, with Mount Gilboa being the one on the far left end. This is all the top, um, kind of on 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 the bottom edge, if you will, where Naboth's Vineyard would more than likely have been. And then that swings back around. Now, you couldn't see over the top of that. I'm going to show you a picture of that in just a minute. But over the top of that would have been where you could see Megiddo and where you could have actually seen the valley uh, where Armageddon is going to take place. And and we're going to spend more time talking about that so you're not missing out on anything. But this is the the remnants of the Jezreel watchtower that was looking toward Mount Moray and the Jezreel Valley. So more than likely, when the Bible is talking about this watchman being up on the tower and seeing all this take place, that's probably where he was at, was standing right there. And i uh, got some pictures here. There you go. That's, that's what, as far as they know, would have been the remnants of the watchtower, uh, where they would have been standing up there and watching Jehu come. Could you, I mean, this is 3,500 years ago. Could you imagine uh, that, that these things have, have stood for 3,500 years and back up exactly with what the Bible is saying? And uh, just an amazing, amazing thing. So, Joram, Jehoram, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, rode out on their chariots, and we find that in verse number 20. 21, Joram said, make ready, and his chariot was made ready. Now, you remember, he is wounded, right? He should be in bed recovering, and he doesn't know what Jehu's doing. He's not going to be caught in bed. Uh, so he gets up, and he says, get my chariot ready. And Joram, king of Israel, and Ahaziah, king of Judah, went out, each in his chariot, and they went out against Jehu and met him in the portion of of Naboth the Jezreelite. So they meet him in the very vineyard that Ahab has just taken, and that's, that's where they end up uh, coming together there. And, uh, oh, I just, I just read that verse there for you. But Jehoram was killed by Jehu's own bow, and his body was dumped in the very vineyard where his mother and father had murdered Naboth. Verse 21, uh, verse 22. And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. And Joram turned his hands and fled and said to Ahaziah, There is treachery, O oh Ahaziah. And Jehu drew a bow with his full strength and smote Jehoram between his arms. And the arrow went out at his heart and he sunk down in his chariot. I mean, could you imagine how, how hard he must have had to pull that bow back? Two, as Jehoram is moving away from him, shoot him so hard that it goes all the way through his back and comes out his heart in the front. That's a, I mean, <coughs> it takes a lot of strength to do something. And you know, it's not a compound bow like a lot of these guys would be using for, for uh, deer hunting and things like that, right? So uh, Jehu obviously was, was very angry at what Jezebel had done. Verse 25, then said Jehu to Bidkar, his captain, Take up and cast him in the portion of the field of Naboth the Jezreelite. For remember how that, when I and thou rode together after Ahab his father, the Lord laid this burden upon him. Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his sons, saith the Lord, and I will requite thee in this plat, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast him into the plat of ground, according to the word of the Lord. I mean, this is a king. Now very short-lived, because Ahab hadn't been dead very long, But this is a king. He would normally have been taken and buried in a sepulcher and big ceremony around his death and everything else. They take his body and they throw it in a vineyard. That's that's how God treats those who treat his uh, in that way. So Ahaziah was wounded. Verse 27 When Ahaziah, the king of Judah, saw this, he fled by the way of the garden house. And Jehu followed after him and said, Smite him also in the chariot. And they did so at the going up to Gur, which is by Ibilium. And he fled to Megiddo and died there. And his servants carried him in a chariot to Jerusalem and buried him in his sepulcher with his fathers in the city of David. And in the 11th year of Joram, the son of Ahab, began Ahaziah to reign over Judah. So, again, uh, this, is, this is Ahaziah's horrible mistake. Ahaziah was not, a very, was not a bad king, but he made a bad association. And when Jehu found him with Joram, he just automatically assumed that both of them were together, and they were and he killed Ahaziah at the same time. Ahaziah didn't die in his chariot. He made it to Megiddo, but he died in Megiddo, and they buried him there in in Jerusalem, uh, the city of David. So, interesting, but the story doesn't end there. Jehu then rode to the city gate, and Jezebel called to him from the palace. She had dolled herself up for the occasion. This is pretty funny. Uh, The Bible's account is pretty funny. And history tells us that she was a beautiful woman. And at that time, she was about 40 years old. So let's go to verse number 30. And when Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out a window. And as Jehu entered in at the gate, she said, Had Zimri peace who slew master? I, I, the master? The reason I think why the Bible is mentioning it this way is because she knows that Jehu is a threat. She knows that, that, that Jehu, she probably by that point had heard that Jehu had already killed Ahaziah and Jehoram, and she's a beautiful woman. So she's going to try to use that beauty to get Jehu to do what she wants him to do. Why, why do you think the Bible said that she painted her face? I, mean, I think it's so funny that the Bible says it that way. We call it putting on makeup today, but the Bible calls it painting her face, and that's what she did, and she tired her head, which means she dressed up her hair, and she looks out the window at Jehu and tries to, you know, tries to get him to, to, to fall to her wiles, if you will. But verse 32, he's not, he's not, he's not, uh, he's not swayed by it. He lifted up his face to the window and said, who is on my side? Who? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. Hey, we don't like her either. <laughs> yeah, we're on your side. What do you want? Right? What do you need? And he said, throw her down. So they picked her up and they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall. Uh, could you imagine? I mean, so we saw the picture of what what it looked like, right? I mean, it wasn't you know, crazy high, but you're you're a long way up, right? this is this is the king's palace. They need to be protected. And so they threw her down to the point where her body literally exploded when it hit the ground and some of her blood splatted up on the wall, right? That's what it says. And uh, verse verse thirty three. And some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. He ran over her with his chariot after they threw her down off the wall. So Jehu called to the palace eunuchs. They threw her down to the bottom. She, tra- she was trampled with her horses, and then blood flowed like water. And actually, before we get to that, we need to, we need to read the rest of this story, verse 44, 34. And when he was come in, he did eat and drink and said, Go see now this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter it's almost like he didn't want to do it, but she's a king's daughter, so you have to, right? Just go check on her body, see what's up, and and put her in a grave somewhere. She's a king's daughter. She needs a little bit of respect. And they went to bury her, but they found no more of her than the skull and the feet and the palms of her hands. What did God say was going to happen to Jezebel? The dogs were going to eat her. And all they left, why they left the palms of her hands and, and her feet and her skull, I have no idea, other than... So that they can say, hey, that's definitely her, and uh, they definitely ate her, right? I mean, if, if the whole body was gone, how would they have known that somebody just didn't pick her up and go bury her somewhere or whatever else, right? But that was all that was left. Wherefore, they came again and told him and said, this is the word of the Lord, which he spake by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, in the portion of Jezreel, shall dogs eat the flesh of Jezebel? And the carcass of Jezebel shall be as dung upon the face of the field and the portion of Jezreel, so that they shall not say, this is Jezebel. What a, what a, uh, what a story. God says, there's not even going to be anything left of her for you to bury, basically. There's, uh, there's not even going to be a place where you can go and mourn over her and say, this is Jezebel. She was, she was gone. She was as dung because the dogs literally had eaten her, and you know what's going to happen after that. Second Kings chapter 10, verse number 11. So Jehu slew all that remained of the house of Ahab in Jezreel and all his great men and his kinfolks and his priests until he left none of them remaining. Blood flowed like water in Jezreel after that. Jehu did what God told him to do, and that was to get rid of Ahab and all of his seed, and he did it. Now, let me show you a couple things and we'll be done. Jezreel, uh, there's been a lot of excavations and archaeology done uh, if you go there today, which, which we did, there's there's not much left. There's not really a whole lot to see. Uh, none of it's been preserved. And one of the reasons why is you think about all the history, think about all the history of the Bible and all of the places that are there in Israel that could be excavated and preserved and uh, you know, things found there and everything else. Uh, the Israel Antiquities Authority is the one who runs all of that and decides which places they're going to excavate and everything else, which places they're going to preserve, which places they're going to spend their money on. And they can't do all of them, so they just pick and choose. And and Jezreel is not one of the ones that they've chosen to really spend a lot of time at, other than these original excavations. But the excavations from 1990 to 1996 unearthed the remnants of the wall, the four towers of a fortress that enclosed an area of almost 11 acres. So it was 860 feet long, which is again basically three football fields long as a palace on the top of this tell and 470 feet wide built over a steep slope on the north with a 20 foot wide moat and rampart on the other three sides and and i'm going to show you some pictures of these a lot of that is still there at least remnants of it so they've they've unearthed the remnants of a casemate wall we talked about that do you remember what a casemate wall is Casemate wall is you have an outside wall and you have an inside wall, and then a lot of it on the inside is filled with either houses that people lived in or dirt or things like that as a protection. So basically, if they happen to make it up over that first wall, now they're basically down in a valley where there's a second wall and they're stuck. They can't go back. They can't come forward. And it's I mean it's a great way for for, for protection. But that's what they found there, and surrounded by this this uh, this twenty foot moat. Here's, here's uh, some remnants of the casemate wall that, that, are, that were still there and some of the different things that they found. Again, that kind of stuff and what that looks like is about all that's left there in Jezreel. But let me just show you a few pictures here uh, real quick and, and then um, we'll finish up. But this is, this is part of the walls, the Ashlar pillars, um, which is, is what they used uh, many times there to, to build these different things. These, some of these things that are left here, um, there in the side of the hill. Here's portions of the moat that are on the south side of the, of, of the tell there. See how it kind of comes down and goes back up a little bit. Now, obviously, there's a road and everything else there, but that was the remnants as they dug it out to, to prove that there was a moat there, and um, it would have been all the way around the outside edge of that, which, again, you know, you think about medieval, and a lot of, a lot of them did that, but they did that here in Jezreel. Here's the top of the hill there, uh, some different things that are left of the, of the wall, um, this is, this is some deeper excavations that they had done. and Got down in the side of that thing, and, and, and again, you know, you, you think about, I mean, you, you think about where you live, right? And you think, uh, how in the world would my house be completely underground, you know, in 2,000 years? But you think, I mean, Israel has had many, many, about, about one every hundred years or less earthquakes that would have knocked all kinds of things down and caused everything to collapse on itself. You have you know 2000 years of civilizations being on top, being built on top of civilizations plus i mean 3500 to 2000 years right so there's been a lot of time for that to happen so this it's not like it just happened overnight you know you went back to your house 20 years from now and it's underground because there's so much that's all you know debris over the top of it and everything else right so they have dug down in there and that would have kind of been the base of the wall but it's 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 just underground now because of all those things here's the top again not, not really much of anything left there. Just just all rock and stone and things that have been turned over. Now, if you're looking behind you, that's Megiddo back there in the distance. All right, we'll talk about that later. But that's now, so where we were looking before is this way. We've come around to the backside, and now we're looking over here. And that would be the the, the valley, the, the, the proper valley of Jezreel, not the offshoots of it and things like that. But some more of there. Uh, that kind of gives you a, a, an idea of how... You know, how big things are up there. It's not, not huge, but big enough. In June of 2012, there was an, it was an archaeological expedition that actually found evidence of a large rock-cut wine press. Now, what, what significance does that have? Very likely, it could have been Naboth's vineyard, right? Uh, why, would, why, why would Ahab have wanted this vineyard so badly if he already had a giant one on the top of the hill already, Right? So very likely, and, and what, they've, what they've discovered, and here's, here's remnants and pieces of it. This would have been actually the place where they stamped out the grapes. And those, those, those grates there are covering um, what would have been wine storage places. And I'll show you a couple pictures here. This is where the treading floor of the grape press. And uh, I'll show you a diagram in just a second. But what would happen is they would just throw all of those grapes in there, and they would have people stomping all over those grapes and just squeezing everything out of it. And as as the grape juice would have flowed down, it would have gone into those vats. They would have dipped things in there to get it back out of there, and then they would have stored it underground to keep it cool. So um, this is, this is what, it, what it looked like without the grates on it, all right? And uh, you can see that there. And, and again, so as we're looking here, to kind of give you an idea of where we're at, there's Mount Gilboa. There's the, there's the valley of uh, the Herod Valley as you're looking through it. Jordan River behind it, so it's kind of built right into the side of this hill. So you had the, the palace on the top and Nabal's Vineyard right there on the side of that hill. Here's, some, here's a rock-cut grape press that they found, and, and there was a bunch of different ones that they found there, but you see, again, that's the treading floor. They would have stumped all over that, had this little, little channel that all the, all the grape juice would have filtered down into, and that's how they would have collected it from those grapes. So there are more than 100 pits carved into the bedrock that could have been used to store wine. So this was Nabal's vineyard was probably a massive, massive vineyard. No wonder Ahab wanted it so much. Here's a diagram that kind of shows you exactly what they would have done. So you, you had a plug there that you could you know uh, stop that, stop it from going into the vat, but there's the jars, the wine jars um, that they would have used to store it in and then they had they had over a hundred pits that they had dug that they would have taken those jars and stored them in to keep the wine fresh and to keep it um, uh, to keep it cool and everything else so but the Great Press was located below the palace overlooking the Herod Valley and the Jordan Valley there. And again, to kind of put it in perspective, there's, there's Mount Gilboa in the background, and we've already looked at that. So here you go, last picture, and that is, that is just, the, there it is, the, the Jezreel Valley and uh, all the stories that we read in the Bible that you've read many, many, many times. That's where it took place. And uh, uh, everything that the Bible says is very easily corroborated with the geography of the land, the layout of the land, and how everything uh, is there. That's where they would have seen Jehu coming from, and all of those things that Jehu did, the Bible makes very, very clear, and who knows exactly where it was at, but somewhere along, along that edge is where Jezebel's body was thrown down, where her hands and her feet and her head would have been tossed, where... Uh, uh, a, um, um, Jehoram's body would have been tossed in Naboth's vineyard where the dogs would have licked Ahab's blood. I mean, all of that happened right there. And uh, an amazing thing it is to show that the Bible is, is historically accurate and that it can be trusted. All right, right, we're gonna, next week, we're going to look at Megiddo and a lot of things that uh, Megiddo holds that are going to be part of our I say are, but part of the future events of what's going to take place in the battle of Armageddon, and I'll show you the valley, the exact valley where all of that's going to take place. You know that the Bible says that during the battle of Armageddon, there's going to be so much blood that it's going to flow to the horse's bridle. Could you imagine how much blood that is, and how much, how much suffering, and how much death and everything is going to happen, but blood flowing to the horse's bridle, and when you see how big the valley is, I mean, it's not like a little bowl. Right? I mean, it's, it's not like auditorium and it's flowing to the horse's bridle. It's a massive valley, and the Bible says it's going to be so high, it'll be up there. So we'll look at that next week. And uh, maybe if you want to, you can kind of look, look ahead at a little bit of it and um, read up on some of it yourself. But we'll talk about that when we get together again. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the Word of God. I thank you for the historical accuracy of the Bible and for the fact that everything else in it can be trusted. And uh, the Bible is not a history book, but where it records history, it's accurate. It's not a science book, but where it records science, it's accurate. And we thank you for that. I thank you that we have something that we can trust. And I thank you for allowing us to be able to see these things and hopefully gain a better perspective on these stories that we've read for many, many years. And I pray that you just help them as we, as we continue to go through these and as we read them again, that they would just come alive to us and remind us of the, the greatness of our God. Thank you again for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.